It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. We want to welcome all of our online visitors. We want to welcome our visitors that may be here in the house for the first time. We are just excited to be here and to do uh, what God has called us to do. Amen. And so I'm excited this morning. There's been a lot going on uh, this week uh, and life continues. Amen. Life keeps lifing, as the young folks say. Uh, but it's just so good to just be in his presence and to be with him and to be uh, be noticed by him and so this morning we uh, I will not be long before you amen we will be uh, but we will be returning to the um, passage in Mark last week we talked about uh, uh, the story of the demon-possessed man coming a maniac to a missionary and we are going to pick up with that story but also want to recognize that this is Pentecost Sunday amen hallelujah Amen, amen. Pentecost Sunday is the Sunday, it's 50 days after the ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Uh, and we are just excited that God left us a gift of his promised Holy Spirit. And so we are excited this morning that uh, we have the gift of the Spirit. And I believe these, these narratives that I have been speaking on really uh, allow us to just take a deeper look into what the Holy Spirit can do, what, the, what a functioning Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians can do. Because when Jesus was here on earth, his whole mission was to heal, amen, to save and to heal and to, to restore people back to their rightful positions. And so when we look at Pentecost Sunday, we understand that uh, just before he left, he had, he had asked his, his disciples to go up into the uh, upper room. He said, go into the upper room and wait for the Spirit of God. Wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And then when they did that, it, it sure, sure enough appeared, amen. And so just to, uh, uh, to just tell off of that and kind of intertwine it into today's sermon. So it was approximately one-fifth of the gospel, one-fifth of the gospel narrative is devoted to Jesus' teachings, to Jesus' healing, uh, most of it to Jesus' healing uh, ministry. And as, as, as the Christ, as the promised Holy Spirit, as the promised Christ, um, Jesus went around and he healed. They got to really know him uh, through, through his healing, through the marvelous, wondrous works and the miracles that he was doing before uh, the people, um, teaching in the synagogues and, and just, you know, bringing a whole nother level of teaching. Uh, these, these, the, the Pharisees didn't know how to handle him. They were like, who, who taught him? Who, who, what school of theology did he go to? How does he know the, um, how can he unpeel and unfoil the, the, the scriptures in the way that he does, uh, not realizing that he was God himself? And so as we start, as we go into the, the, today's word, we're just going to realize, uh, just look at and just realize who Jesus was, why he was not recognized by people, by some people. But um, we're going to just really look and see just the activation of the spirit within him, uh, the triune God working in him. So let us just have a word of prayer. Father, we just come to you this morning, Lord, and we thank you, Father, for this time. 
God, we just commit this time to you, Lord. We want to just uh, come as a family, God, uh, together, just to open up your word, Father God. We want to come, Father God, and just learn more, Father God, just another layer, Father. So we ask that you unpeel this word to us, Father. Allow your spirit to minister to us and enlighten our eyes, Father, to, to see this story uh, that is, is about to be spoken of, Father God, in a new light, Father God, and under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Lord. So we thank you and we bless you, God, in your name we pray, amen. So I am just going to quickly turn to Acts 2, uh, 1 through 13, because I think uh, it is Pentecost Sunday, so we should... Uh, just take a brief look at, at what that is. So um, Pentecost Sunday is the Sunday where the Holy Spirit was released upon the earth, amen? It was after Jesus had departed this earth. And so, you know, when we look at churches today, uh, our, our churches, they look a little different than they did, um, than the early church did look like. Um, a lot of us base a, a good church on, the, on its size, um, on its social position within the city, um, and it also on the, the look of the building, you know, a lot of, we get wrapped up into the, the outer layers of the church. But what is the most beautiful thing when you walk into a church and you can feel the presence of the power of the Holy Ghost, it lets you know that God resides there, amen, and that God resides there and that God res resides in the people. So when we come Sunday morning and, and when we look at the, the early church, uh, there's a, some, some key factors in there that we need to always keep in the back of our mind is that I'm not just getting up and going to church because it's tradition. It's because, you know, what my mama taught us to do or, you know, it's just my time to, to kind of wash some of this guilt up off of me from all the craziness I've been out in the world doing. But the assembling of the saints they, the, in the early church, those 120 disciples that were up in that upper room, they were assembled in prayer, amen? One of the key things of, of strengthening your relationship with God, strengthening your bond with Christ, is that you are a prayer, that you assemble, that we together assemble in prayer. And I'm just going to be honest, we're weak in the prayer area. Amen? We will come, we will pray while we're here, but to come out to a prayer service, yeah, well... You know, we, we just, it's, it's a struggle. And that's something that if we want to be the powerful church, if we want to uh, exemplify that church in Acts, that we've got to come out and we've got to begin to pray together. And it also builds unity when we're here together, the unity and the prayer. And, and all of that is just strictly just, it's just our obedience to doing what God has called us to do as we come in obedience to worship the Lord and uh, that we are here to praise the Lord. So that's one of the things that the Acts Church has on us, amen? They came to services or they gathered in each other's home and they assembled themselves in prayer, consecrating themselves before the Lord, worshiping the Lord together, building unity together, getting to know each other. And so when the Holy Spirit came, it wasn't, um, it wasn't they were expecting it to come. And they, when, when the Holy Spirit came and released himself upon it, upon them, they became so infilled with his precious Holy Spirit. So if you were to look at Acts um, 2 and 2, 
Acts chapter 2, 2, two through 4, uh, it talks about the, the ministry of regeneration, the regeneration of the saints, the, you know, because they had been... Uh, 50 days had gone by, and you could, uh, you could imagine that they were kind of like, oh, my gosh, you know, what are we going to do? We were following this guy, Jesus. He's dead. We're here. People are still kind of wondering what's going on. Uh, but when, he, when the Holy Spirit came, it rege regenerated them. It gave them that push. It gave them that, okay, it's going to be all right. Yes, Jesus was right. Here it is. Here it is manifesting before us. And it purified them. It purified them and let them know that truly we can do this. Truly we can start this church. Truly we can be a community of loving people. We can be a community that reaches out and touches the world. And so as the Holy Spirit came down upon them, they began to, it, it not only did it, it uh, verify that Jesus' life and time here on earth was real, but it also verified that they were to do what God had told them to do. That they were essentially able to do what Jesus had given them the power to do. And so they were all, they were excited about that and they were stepping out and began doing what God had told us to do. And we are a result. Today we stand as a result of the powerful, loving grace of God um, as we, as churches around this earth go forth. So when the church knows that it has the power of the Holy Spirit, the church will begin to experience a ministry of regeneration. It will begin to, to, to see purification in the house and communication in the house. What the Holy Spirit comes to do is to bring us as one. Amen. And so as a church, we need to learn to communicate better. Amen. You can say that in your household. You know, what is the number one problem? In communication. What's the number one problem on your job? Communication. What's the number one problem with your kids? Communication. And so the Holy Spirit came to bring um, us together as one and for us to be able to communicate with each other and understand what God has truly designed for us to do. And so um, as, as, you, as you read on in Acts, you will see that some people accepted Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior. Some of them had rejected it. Some of them wanted nothing to do with it. And some of them just kind of, well, maybe I am, you know, kind of neglected it. Like, okay, I'll, do, I'll try it out or, you know, how we do. I'll go to Sunday. I'll go to church for a few weeks. And, you know, if ain't nothing happening or I'm, a blessing's not coming my way, then I'm cool with it. But, you know, uh, so uh, the, the unity of the Holy Spirit is, is essential as we grow our church. So I just wanted to just kind of mention that because it is uh, Pentecost. Today is uh, the day of Pentecost. Um, but I believe that these narratives kind of fold into, uh, it is, of course, uh, before the death of Christ. Um, and it is really uh, the, the stories that are coming out of Mark 5, as we spoke of last week with the man that, had many, that had, was full of demons uh, and the Lord uh, exercise those demons out uh, but the story the narrative goes on and so we're going to pick up um, at Acts I mean I'm sorry at Mark chapter 5 verses 21 through 24 and there are two accounts of healing in these scriptures there's two uh, two narratives that I'm about to read to you um, and I won't go have you stand because it's a lengthy uh, passage of scripture but Acts chapter 5 Verses 
I'm, I don't know why I keep saying Mark chapter 5, sorry, verses 21 through 24. And it says, And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat on the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he, as he was beside the sea. When he came, one of the rulers of, then he came, then came one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus, by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet. This is almost a duplication of wording that happened last week in our, in our passage of scripture. As soon as Jesus got off the boat, the demon-possessed man ran and fell at his feet. And here it is, uh, Jairus, one of the synagogue rulers, an elder, a, a keeper of uh, the temple, comes and hears that Jesus is in the area. And he comes and he falls at his feet. And he implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. As we are looking at this passage of scripture, I just want you to just put a, put a, put this, put a picture behind what's going on here. Here Jesus has just crossed over the Sea of Galilee again, and he is, he is getting off the boat, and he can't even get off the boat. His popularity has become so intense at this time, and he was really trying to keep it on the down low. He didn't want a lot of people uh, knowing uh, who he was. He was just trying to, you know, walk walk through earth. Uh, he was here. His mission was here to restore, to heal, but his popularity had became so out of control. A lot of people were just just gathering just to see who is this man, who is this man that we're hearing about that's going through these, these providences and healing people and, and, and making blind, the blind to see and, you know, who is this Jesus that, that, that has, uh, can teach this word in such a defined way. And so as soon as he gets off the boat, even uh, one of the synagogue leaders comes and he falls at his feet because his daughter was at the point of death. So Jesus, as he's, he has returned, um, and uh, this man, this, this synagogue uh, ruler, comes up and tells him, my daughter is dying. She is at the point of death. You know, and he grabbed him probably right away because he knew that, you know, if I don't get to him, he's going to be stuck. <laughs> you know, there's going to be a lot of people pushing around him. There's going to be a lot. But he was, it was an urgent call. It was an urgent plea to get into the presence of God. It was an urgent plea to make sure that he could get to the feet of Jesus. And sometimes we just have to be persistent. Amen? I mean, there's a lot of times when we are praying, God, uh, heal me or handle this situation. But when you get to a desperate point in God, when you get to a desperate point in your life, I should say, you will fall to the feet of Jesus. There are many times in my life that I have just laid on the floor and cried out to God and said, God, I need you. There is nothing else I can do. My back is against the wall in this situation. And God, I am pleading with you, Lord, to give me guidance, to give me instruction on where I need to go and how I need to handle this. And so this is, this is a father who has a young child, and it was his only child. It was his baby girl, and she had fallen sick. And, and the love for his child uh, outgrew, overcame his status. You know, he was a synagogue. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He was highly looked upon. He was 
highly uh, favored in the community, and he did not care. His status totally meant absolutely nothing to him because he wanted to make sure that his baby girl would be seen by Jesus, that, his, that Jesus would come because there was no other hope. Nothing was going to her. Life was actually slipping away. And so Jesus goes with, uh, with Jairus, uh, but the, the crowd was just, it was, they were just so pressed up against him that he could never move. You know, when you've gone to a sports game or you've gone to a concert or event and everyone's trying to get out of, you know, the one, the, the few doors that they have and you're just kind of barely able to move um, and people are bumping into each other. People are all over the place. And I'm pretty sure Jivos was like, if you people would just, can y'all back up and let this man get to my baby? My baby's dying, and I need, I need to get him. So there was an anxiousness within him. But Jesus' response to him was, you know, it was pretty much, yes, let, you know, uh, let me go and check on your daughter. Let's go check on her. And so that might have brought him some comfort, but the discomfort of the crowd, the discomfort of the church people that were pressing up on him uh, might have made Jarius a little bit anxious uh, that, he, that she was, he was not able to get to his, that he would not be able to get to his daughter in time. And so as they were going, uh, they were headed towards Darius's house, something else happened. Something else disrupted us. And no doubt, Jairus is dismayed. He's just like, God, I just need to get, we just need to get, you know, I just need to get you to the house so you can, uh, you can look at my daughter, you can check on her because she's fading. And when I left, she was not in a good position. And so we, when we get to chapter, or when we get to verse 25, uh, something really peculiar happens uh, on, on this journey to Jairus' house. Um, it's the account of the woman with the issue of blood, which is one of my favorite uh, Bible stories. Um, and, and let me just read uh, a portion of it. It says, um, I'm going to start at 24, and he, and, and he went with him, that's Jesus, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and had no, and there was no, no and was no more better, rather she was growing worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. So we have this narrative of this young woman. I can't even say it's young because it doesn't, it doesn't clarify what her age is. But this woman who had an issue of blood, this woman had been sick for 12 long years. And I know there's many of us that can raise our hand and say, it's been 12 years of me battling with something. Maybe it's an illness, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's, it's, it's a child, but this woman had been 12 long years with an issue of blood, probably, as we know today, fibroids or hemorrhages. She just could not get, um, she, could, she just could not get healed from it. She had gone to every doctor, every specialist, every physician that she could to, to rectify this situation, and, and which lets me know that she was probably wealthy at one point in her life because she had exhausted everything that she had. She was financially ruined um, and she still had this issue that was going on. Now, when you look back in the Levitical law, she should not have been uh, in the presence of anyone at that time. She was to remain away 
until, until, that, that, until a, a drying came. But she was in the presence. She had heard that Jesus was coming. Um, and I'm pretty sure, you know, she had heard about the miracles in the other cities. She had heard about this man called Jesus. This man called Jesus who, who was healing people. She was, she was excited. I'm pretty sure her heart lifted when she heard that he was in her vicinity uh, and that he would be able, that he could possibly touch her. But knowing that she could not approach him because of her uncleanness, knowing that she could not come near him, that she should not be around people, she decided to take the risk. And what she did is that she pressed her way through the crowd knowing goodness well that she could be killed, knowing goodness well that she could be stoned. Um, so I'm pretty sure that she covered her face, she covered her head so that no one could recognize her. And as she began to press through that crowd, now she has to get to Jesus, so she's making her way in and out amongst the people, pressing through, just saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I will be made whole. This will just be between me and Jesus. Don't nobody need to know nothing. And so she begins to just eye out, how can I do this? You know, if I get caught, I'm dead. So she had to make the choice. She says, my life is a mess anyway. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. No one can, he, can lead it. I can't go around my family. I can't be with friends. I can't be with no one. So I'm, essentially, she probably thought, I'm already dead. What is this? This is not life. This is not the way God designed me to, be, to, be, to live. And so she begins to, to figure out, how can I get to Jesus? And as, as Jesus is walking um, on, his, on his journey to Jarius' house, she manages to get close enough <laughs> She pushed close enough. Her persistence and her faith was just like, girl, just try it. Just see if, if, if this will work. And she was able to get to him. She was able to touch him. She was able to receive the blessing and the healing that she needed because of her persistence and her faith. And then all of a sudden, the whole, Jesus just stops the whole, uh, the whole parade. He's like, who touched me? Who touched me? And this woman has already been delivered. It, when you read the scriptures, it says that she felt it in her body. Women, we know, we know, we know. She felt in her body that, you know, the blood had dried up. She felt the shift in her physical body that she had been healed. And she is rejoicing and just trying to draw back and just say, you know what? It worked. It worked. And she's excited and she's trying to just, you know, just let the crowd move on before, before her. But Jesus stops, stops the processional and says, who touched me? Who touched me? Now, here we have Peter in the story. Peter is the one who's going to, you know, blurt out like, man, dude, are you kidding me right now? Like, you know, there's all these people and people are touching you and bumping into you and, you know, we're getting knocked all over the place. Um, what do you mean, who touched me? And uh, Jesus said, who touched me? And this woman begins to get, she's probably getting nervous because she's like, if I reveal it, I could be stoned. I could be put to death. You know, this could be <laughs> the end of my life. But she just goes ahead and she comes, and what does she do? She, she falls before the feet of Jesus. 
Hallelujah. She falls before the, te- the feet of Jesus, and she begins to confess, that, Lord, it was I. Lord, it was I. So he looked around, and I'm, I'm skipping all the way up to verse 32. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. There's something about the humility, the humbleness of getting to the feet of Jesus. We saw the demon-possessed man drop at his feet, amen? We saw Jarius, the synagogue leader, drop to the feet of Jesus. And now we have here a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years dealing with this pain, dealing with uh, not only just this issue she had, but rejection from, the, from her community. She couldn't go around her parents. She couldn't be with family. She couldn't go to church. I, you know, I would just love to get into the story like how did she make it? How was she able to get food? Well, how did she even, you know, how did she even live? Because anything she touched became, um, un- became unclean. And in the Levitical law, you would have to go through this process. Uh, even if you were to just brush up against her, you were considered unclean and you would have to go and wash and you would have to wait till the evening before you went out of your house or you did anything. And so she lived a miserable life, a lonely life, an enclosed life. And so her desperation Uh, Her faith overtook her desperation, and together she said, you know what, I believe this, this could work for me. And it did, hallelujah. And she touches the hem of his garment, and she falls to his feet, and she begins to just confess and share her life story of, of, you know, the pain she's been through, the agony that she's been through. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't say, well, okay, well, I'm on my way to Darius' house. He takes the time to minister to her, and he, he belovingly calls her daughter. He calls her daughter. In Scripture, this, you will see that this is one of the only times that he refers to someone as daughter. And he says, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be filled. It was her faith, amen? It was her persistence. It was, it was the faith that she had in God to just, you know, I don't need to be touched. I don't, you know, I don't need to pray anymore. I don't need, all I need to do is touch him. All I need to do is just touch him. And the virtue and the healing power of God came was released from him. God allowed the releasing power of his mighty healing power to go into, to flow into this young lady just because of a touch. That's the kind of faith that we need to have, amen? That if we can just get a touch from Jesus, if we can, if we can grow our faith to the point of just saying, God, I just need to touch you. I, I know without a shadow of a doubt I know that, that you will heal me, that it was her faith that healed her. It wasn't any medical procedure. It wasn't any doctor's visits or anything. It was the faith in God, the faith that, was, that she had built up. So that means that this woman had been in her word, amen? Maybe she had to sit outside of the synagogue um, to hear the, to get the word of God. But whatever she did, she was in her word. She was in her Bible. And she had built enough faith up in her to know that God can, 
even when the church failed her, she knew that God could, amen? Because these were church members that were surrounding her. It was church members that, that were there, and they were probably like, I know she did not come in here. You know, because you know, you know us. You know us. Somebody coming here with COVID or leprosy or something, we all shifting. We're going to get up and move because, you know, we don't want that on us. But she was just, she was so determined that she just covered her, probably covered her face and just said, if I can just get close enough and touch the hem of his garment. So she receives her healing. Amen. She receives her healing. Now you got to think, poor Jarius. <laughs> First of all, these people are just, they are just so pressed around God, are pressed around Jesus. And then Jesus stops, and I just can imagine that his heart was just throbbing inside. And as Jesus and the woman were converse, conversing, uh, here, comes, here comes church people. Here comes church people. So uh, it says in verse... Uh, 34, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? <laughs> she gone, you know, she, she's dead. Why trouble the teacher any, any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, do not fear only believe. See, what God, what, what God tested Jarius in was Jarius's faith, because Jarius had faith enough to get to the feet of Jesus and ask for healing. And although it wasn't working out how Jarius thought it should work out, just like us, you know, we, we figure, you know, okay, I'm going to ask God to do this, and then, you know, a uh, miracle's going to happen. I'm going to open up a check. I'm going to open up a mailbox. There's going to be some money in it. Hallelujah, you know, and I'm going to pay my tithes, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, because we walk out our scenarios of how we feel the situation should go. But Jairus had no control of the crowd. He had no idea that this woman with the issue of blood was going to show up and interrupt uh, the journey to his home. And so they come and they tell him that your daughter is dead. And can you imagine? Can you imagine how his heart sank? Uh, can you imagine just the, the, the feeling of hopelessness coming over to him? But Jesus looks at him and he says, don't worry about it. I got you. In other words, he's like, man, <laughs> these church people are a trip. You know, because they did not realize who he was. And so he was just like, just believe, just believe. Hold on to the faith that you approach me with, and we, are, we will take care of this. And so as, as, as the church is telling him, you know, she's dead, you're, you're, you know, it's over, you might as well go ahead and go home. Um, but Jesus said, just follow, you know, let's, let's continue on the journey. He began to continue on the journey, and, but he allowed no one, after hearing the church, after hearing the people say that the man's child was dead, at verse 37, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And so he had to dismiss the crowd because the crowd was probably just, you know, oh, she dead. Why are they even bothering to go with him? And man, can you believe that, you know, he asked him to come and see about his daughter, but he didn't get there in time. Uh, and so, you know, they've they, they pronounced the death upon the daughter. They've they pronounced everything. So 
he, he just tells the crowd, he tells the church, you know what, y'all just stay back here. I don't, don't, y'all, you know, they were probably frustrated him. But he was just like, let's, let's, let's take this, let me handle what I need to handle. Let me go do what I need to go do. And so he takes uh, Peter, James, and John with them, and they continue on to Jairus' house. And when they get there, the church is there. They are mourning. You know, in, in those days, they, the, the mourners had already came. The singers had already came. You know, they were just about ready for the processional. And they were just all around the house screaming and mourning and crying out uh, for the death of the child. And Jesus is just looking at them like, man, I mean, like, these people have absolutely no faith. Uh, and so they... Uh, they just, he just kept pressing through. And when they get there, um, they came to the house, I'm in verse 38, they came to the house of the rich ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion of people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but is only sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he, put them on, but he put them all on the outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went into where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Wake up, little girl. Wake up, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was only 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. When the Lord is about to do something in your life, when you are pleading for the Lord uh, to do something in your life, or you feel that the Lord uh, wants to heal you, and he does, and he does, there are some things in these stories that you need to understand. You can't tell everybody your business. Amen? You can't, you can't invite everyone into your situation. And that's unfortunate that we as a church, as we as believers of God, can't um, fully entrust our brothers and sisters. But you can't trust everybody to, with your business. You can't trust people to pray for you. You can't, can't assume that people love you in, such, in, in that way. And so here we have the story of... of um, the demon-possessed man, we have the story of the young lady, um, we have the story of, the, of the, the daughter of Jairus, and we have the story of the woman with the issue of blood. All of them were three totally different situations. But what you see in this is that the, the, the two, the demonic, uh, the demon-possessed man and the woman with the issue of blood, they were all on their own. There was no backup support for them. There was no one that, that uh, cared or loved for them. Everyone had given up hope on them. And sometimes that's the best place you can find yourself. When you find yourself ostracized from society, when you find yourself ostracized from your family, sometimes God has to get us into those type of places in order for us to look up because we will try and figure it out on our own. I mean, I can just go through countless stories and stories of me just trying to help God. Like, okay, God, I got this. Let me help you out here. You know, just, just bless this, and this is how I'm going to handle it. But it's not like that. Sometimes God has to pull you away and pull you through, through, through such situations that you have nothing else to depend on. 
but him. That you get to a point to where you have to totally surrender to him. And this is the situation that we find in these three stories. Is that, that Jesus, the son of God, is here on earth. He's here and he was healing people. He was showing people. He was actually teaching his disciples. This is what I'm about to hand over to you all. I need you all to pay attention. I don't need you to be dealing with the crowd. I don't need you to, you know, uh, to, to be saying, hey, the, her, her, his daughter is dead. I don't, I don't need all of that. You have the power within you. I'm trying to uh, let you understand that I'm about to transfer this power to you and that you can walk in the, the faith. You can walk in the wherewithal and handle this and so they just, they just didn't understand it. And I, don't, I know that the church today, sometimes we just don't get that. We don't understand the power of the Holy Ghost. This is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. That same power is within each and every one of us. The ability to heal, the ability to speak, amen, the ability to walk this earth and see positive power, healing, resurrection. We have that power, amen? And we need to learn to resurrect it. We need to, to learn to understand what in the world, why am I always broke? Why am I always going through these situations? Why is all of that? I mean, if this is what Christian is, Christianism is, I, I'm not feeling it, God. I'm not living a victorious life. The reason you're not living a victorious life is because of disobedience, amen? Let's just, let's just admit it. Because of disobedience, because of ego, because of lack of belief, all of these people had walked through everything we've already walked through. Their stories aren't no different from us. Their stories are, aren't, you know, different time, different place, maybe different situation, but there's nothing new in the world. We've had people who are sick and haven't recovered. We've had people who have children that we've been praying for and praying for and they haven't been healed. We have family members that are, have lost their minds. You know, especially in today's society, mental illness is just on a rampage. And we see all of these things going on. And, and we're often like, oh, Lord, just come. And Lord's like, what do I need to come for? I have you. I have you to handle these situations. As a church, we need to begin to go out into our community, into our world, like Jesus had summoned the disciples. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Activate your faith. Activate your faith this morning. Go out and begin to, to, to trust what God has given you is real. Trust and know that the Lord wants you to duplicate and to imitate everything that he did on earth, that you have the power to heal. You have the power to give life. You have the power to regenerate people. That's what, that's what Jesus was showing his disciples in these narratives. If you just start reading the narratives up to his death, you will see just these miraculous miracles. But yet and still sometimes, and yet and still in many cases, the church didn't believe. The people didn't believe. But those who did have been healed. Those who did uh, were able to live a, an abundant life. And God wants that for each and every one of us. So as a church this morning, we need to realize that Pentecost was real. Amen? Hallelujah. That God came. Amen? 
sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins and gave us the precious Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> you know, I just sometimes I just sit and I just just kind of laugh and say, man, if we really understood the power that I mean, you know, we got superheroes, you know, we got all of our superheroes on TV, but everyone in here is a superhero. Everyone in here has a power that goes beyond those superheroes that we see um, in the movies, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power to, to, to take someone by the hand and say, come here, girl, come here, come on, let's go sit down, let's go to lunch. Let me, talk, let me talk to you about this man named Jesus who can heal you, who can restore you. Here you are at the point of suicide thinking life is over, but there is a God who uniquely designed you, and I am here to share my story with you. I'm here to share my faith so that you can be built up, so that you can know that God loves you in such a personal way, that God cares for you, that God only wants the best for you. And so this, so, so this day, let's just remember, as we are regenerating, uh, as we are rebuilding our church back up, that we need to be communicating, amen? that we need to be like those 120 in, in that upper room, that we need to be on one accord, that we need to make sure that there's no vices between us, that we're not worried about, you know, who got this and who got that, but all we're worried about is kingdom. All we're worried about is giving our God all, our all, bringing our tithes into the storehouse, making sure that no one is leaving here hurt, making sure no one's leaving here broke today, making sure that no one is broken in their spirit, but that we have a, a, a plethora of people here with the Holy Spirit living in them and that someone in here can minister to someone in here and, and lift someone up. Even as we go from this place, as we go into our workplaces, into our homes, that we have to walk in with the Holy Spirit upon us. We've got to believe. Just as Jesus looked at Jairus and said, don't, don't, don't let them church folks get to you. I got you. I got you. That we have to have that faith, that extra faith in God to say, you know what, God? I have to pull myself up, uh, up above this situation so that I can be all that you've called me to be, Lord. And that's what he wants. He wants a church that is going to seek and save the lost. Once we begin doing that, everything else falls into place. If you get a chance this week, just read Acts 1, 1 through probably about chapter, Acts 1 through 4, and just read that narrative over and over again and just uh, allow the scripture to begin to speak to your heart. You will see that these, that that, that uh, early church, they really represented what Christ has said and asked them to do. And that's where we want to get back to, amen? We want to get back to a place where there are, everyone here has no need. Everyone here has no lack because we're here together. We're walking this thing together, amen? That we're not going to be stopping each other uh, each other from, from healing. We're not be chop, stopping each other from getting, uh, moving on, but that we are together walking hand in hand, being a church that loves each other. Amen.
being a church that cares about each other, being a church that, you know, when I see you on the street, it's how are you, sis? How are you doing today? And it's not, oh, I'm fine, but that we're speaking with heart-to-heart -heart connections, that we know each other's business, and because we know each other's business is our business. It's not for us to tell anyone else, but it's our, it's our business to help and pray and believe and do all that we can to help restore. So this morning as we celebrate Pentecost, as we celebrate the precious gift of the Holy Spirit, let us just stand and let's just give God praise for what he's done, amen? For all that he has done for us, for all that he wants to do with us. I have just been in his face constantly like, God, okay, I feel like the wind of heaven is about to enter into this place, amen? The fire of God is about to drop in this place, that God is going to show himself powerful in this place as we come together and we come in here just, just as we are, surrendered. I might be having a bad day, you might be having a bad day, but someone in here can come and just give us that embrace, give us that hug, give us that encouragement that we need, be able to share the love of God, be able to share the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. We are about to do something great and marvelous in the sight of God. We are about to model that first church, amen? I believe God has called us to do a greater work, a greater work. We think we're doing something now with our homeless housing. God says, I've got so much more, but I need you all communicating, amen? I need you all on one accord. I need you to stop mumbling and talking about each other. I need the gossiping to cease. I need unity in the body of Christ. Hallelujah, and that's what we're striving for, to be God's chosen people, to be a house of true restoration. Amen.